thank you so much for being here. Merry Christmas. How exciting, right? We've made it. We are here. We're finally here. How many of you still have shopping to do? Raise your hand. Sweet. Guess what? You have two more days. Today and tomorrow. You're still on track. Plenty of time. You're good to go, all right? Now, just for help, let me just help you out. I read a survey by American Express credit card. They, they listed the worst gifts ever, okay? Let me give you the top two. You ready? The top two. The second one, the number two worst gift of all is no gift, all right, so if you just don't give a gift and you just think, oh, I shouldn't just get a card or something, at least do something, right? Number one, worse than no gift at all, you ready for this? Fruitcake. <laughs> yep, that's it. Fruitcake, yeah, don't, don't bring the fruitcake, all right? Now, wait a second, just for help. Some of you like fruitcake. How many of you like fruitcake? Raise your hand. Okay, there's, look around and see who's got, keep your hands up, keep your hands up. If you want to give the worst gift, these are the people to give it to, all right? Fruitcake. They want the fruitcake. <laughs> I'm helping somebody out here today. That's good. Aren't you glad you came to church for that? That was a good nugget right there. Now, I've also discovered by that same survey, they said that when people get a bad gift, 30%, 30% of people, when they get a bad gift, here's what they do. They hide it in their closet. Have you ever done that? Have you ever hid your present? Okay, let me go one step further. They said 19% of us, I'm gonna put myself in the category, 19% of us, when we get a bad gift, here's what we do, we re-gift it. How many of you re-gifted a gift? Raise your hand. If you're in church, you have to be honest. Yep, I have to, yep. So here's what happens on New Year's. On New Year's, if you receive fruitcake, you know that it was just given and it's a re-gift, all right? Just so you know. Just helping you out and make sure you understand what's happening here. All right. If you have your Bibles, we're going to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Today, we are finishing up a series called Supporting Cast. Over the last few weeks, here's what we've done. We know that the story is about Jesus. We know the story is about God coming as a human in a manger. We know that that's the main character. But as we looked, what we have done is we've wanted to see the supporting cast in this divine drama. Who did God invite into the play? Who did God invite into the story? And why did he invite them in? It's been very interesting to watch that God brought in average people like shepherds to tell the story. That God then, on top of that, included angels to retell the story, to tell what this is all about, the birth of Christ. We also talked about how that God brought in wise men from a far country and they came in and and they were coming for one purpose, to worship. When we talked about our worship last week, if you're interested and intrigued by the the messages, we have them online on our podcast and you're welcome to go download those for free so that you can listen to them. And even last week, as I tied the Christmas story, I tied the Christmas story to even the tragedy that happened in Connecticut. And so we tried to give a parallel and kind of began to show how that God is working even in the midst of a tragedy. And it's an amazing statement to see that the first Christmas had a tragedy in which young, innocent lives were taken, and yet God was still working. And today, well, here's what we're going to be introduced to, to a man named Simeon. And for all purposes, this man should not be included in the story. He doesn't have a religious position. 
He's not famous. He's not well-known. He really shouldn't be included in the story, but yet Luke includes him in the story. And the question must be, why did Luke include him? And there's a great point that I think is going to help us today as we look at what Jesus has done and what God is doing here during Christmas time. So if you have your Bibles, Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, would you stand for the reading of God's word? Luke chapter 2, go all the way down to verse 27. We're talking about Simeon, and Simeon, here's what it says, and he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your blessings. And God, I just ask that over the next few moments, that your spirit would have freedom to move, to work, to interact in our lives. God, we need to hear from you. I pray that you would open our ears so that we would hear. God, I pray that your spirit would have the freedom to speak into our lives where we need it. And Heavenly Father, I pray that when we walk out of this place, we will be a different people because we've heard from you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. All right. So here's what we have. Let me set the stage. I used the word anticipation a minute ago because that's exactly what this story revolves around is great anticipation. There was a man who received a word that he was going to be able to see the Messiah before he dies. And he begins to anticipate and he lives with the anticipation and the promise that God has promised me the chance and the opportunity to be able to see the Messiah before I die. And that's what he lives with, and that's what he begins to live, looking his life for, saying, I need to see, I'm going to see, I get to see. At some point, in some way, I get to see the Messiah. What an incredible gift. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to go back a few verses and begin to follow the story, and then we're going to see this prophecy unfold. Luke chapter 2, you go into verse 21. Luke is writing, and Luke is a doctor. And if you remember, as a doctor, he's very different than the writings of Matthew, who's a tax collector. So Luke includes some things and details that Matthew skips over, and Matthew includes some things that Luke skips over. But what Luke is trying to do is he's trying to make sure that who he's writing this book to, if you go back to chapter 1, Luke is writing to his friend Theophilus and he's trying to make sure that his friend understands that he's writing an account that is true, that is valid, that's trustworthy, and you can trust what you're reading right here. You see, Jesus has already come. The events have already happened, the Christmas story. Jesus has already ministered. Jesus has already been crucified. He's already dead. He's actually already risen again and he's already up in heaven when Luke is writing this book. And so what Luke is doing is he's wanting to present to his friend, this is a true account. You can trust the events that has happened here. And so what he begins to do is, here's a theme here in verse 21, and you're going to see it unfold several times. He's going to use a word according to the scriptures, according to the law, as it was written in the law. He's going to say it four or five times in which Luke is making sure that you understand 
Jesus, his start and what's going on. Verse 21, it says, at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for the purification, according to the law of Moses, there's one, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written, there's two in the law of the Lord. What is Luke trying to do? He's, he's going to say, according to the law, as it is written, the way it's supposed to be done, what Luke is trying to do is this. Luke is wanting to make sure that you understand that Jesus was not raised in a rebel's home. That Jesus has not been trained from his childhood to be a rebel, to rebel against the religious system. That Jesus actually grew up according to the law. It's very important because as Luke is trying to defend who Jesus is as the Messiah, he didn't want Theophilus to think that Jesus was actually a rebel. Why is that important? Because if you're trying to actually demonstrate the savior of the world, you need to make sure you're understanding that you're not following some just rebel who broke all laws just to break laws just for fun. But he actually came to set the law straight according to his heavenly father, God. So Luke is making sure you understand he did this according. So eight days, he goes in for his, his name and the circumcision. Then you move in 40 days later, he goes in for the purification of Mary and also of, of baby Jesus. And they come into the temple according to the law. And it says this, that after 40 days, they come in for the purification that they have to come in Verse 23, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. Verse 24, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Mary and Joseph, according to this, we would be able to find that what they're offering is an offering that the poor would be able to give. If you were rich and you had more money, then you would be offering a lamb. But at this point, they're coming in to redeem, to buy back their firstborn. Now, let's talk about this for a second because I think this is extremely important. And Luke is developing a theme here. Luke is wanting us to understand and to remember that in the Old Testament and still in the New Testament, the first fruits, the firstborn are the Lord's. And it must be redeemed or bought back. Do you remember the story in the Old Testament of Egypt and Pharaoh who would not let God's people go? Do you remember that story? And the last plague was what? That all the firstborn throughout all of Egypt would be killed. Do you remember that? And the question comes up often, why does God have the right to kill the firstborn? Have you ever asked that question? Let me help make sure we understand. The first are always his. It's a theme that goes into your family. It's a theme that goes into your finances. It's a theme that goes into every part of your life. The first belongs to God. And in order to actually have God's blessing on your life, you give the first, and when you give the first, watch this, then it redeems the rest. And you now live with God's blessing on your life, on your finances, do you see it? Old Testament and new alike. And you'll see it fall throughout. And so they come in to redeem, to buy back, to give back to the Lord, to actually redeem the firstborn. And as they come in, they redeem and they, be, they go through the offerings. And here's what happens. Verse 25, now there was a man in Jerusalem, Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. He was a righteous man and devout 
waiting for the consolation of Israel. Stop right there. This is amazing. Simeon really shouldn't be named. We don't even know who he is. We know nothing else about him except right here. He's not a political leader. He's not a religious leader. He's not a priest. He's not anything significant. He's a righteous man, is what the Bible says, devout. That means he was disciplined. That means he was excited to follow God. It was in his nature. It's what he wanted to do. He wanted to follow God because he was a righteous man. Now watch this. No one in the Old Testament or the New is ever declared righteous unless they were right before God and they're right with God, not because of their actions, but because God has made them right. Make sure we understand this. You're sitting here today, maybe you haven't been in church for a long time. Here's something extremely important. The greatest thing that God wants from you is not for you to change your behavior. The greatest thing that God wants from you is not for you to try to become religious and and start acting right. That is not what God wants from you. What God wants from you is for you to actually be connected with him. And the only way you're right with God is when you accept and trust the gift that he's given, his salvation that he gives to you. And Simeon was a man who was right with God, not because of his works, but because he had gotten right with God. And I'm gonna give you some more on that in just a moment. He's a normal, average, ordinary man. And now Luke is gonna play off of another theme. He's been giving you the the theme of as it's written according, and you can look at that, and if some of you scholars want to play out the themes, that would be a great theme for you to watch in Luke as he develops according to the word of God, God, according to the Old Testament law. Another theme that's developing here is this, the Holy Spirit. Do you remember who the author of the book of Acts is? It's Luke. So Luke is... He gives a second book in Acts, and in Acts you have the Holy Spirit coming, you have the day of Pentecost, and what Luke is about to do is this. He's gonna develop the theme of the Holy Spirit for us. Three times in the next couple verses, he's gonna say the Holy Spirit. Now watch what he says about Simeon. He says, Simeon was a righteous and devout man waiting for the comfort or waiting for the Messiah to come to set and make Israel right, and the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit, that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And then it says this, and he came in the Spirit into the temple. The Holy Spirit's upon Simeon, and it causes him to do a couple things. One, the Holy Spirit comes upon him and actually gives him a word, a message of what's going to happen in his future. He receives a promise that you are not gonna die. He's not gonna die until he sees the Messiah come. Think about this. This is an incredible promise. He begins to anticipate. What's the best anticipated gift that you've ever received? Was it a hope that someday you will be engaged and that you would get that ring and that you're headed? What was the best anticipation? You're just, I wonder if it's gonna be this weekend, ladies. I wonder if it's gonna be next week. I wonder if it next month. I wonder if he's got that ring yet. And you begin to anticipate what God, or what this man is going to do and when he's gonna propose. And Simeon here, you ready? Has been told he's gonna to receive this incredible promise, this gift, to see the Messiah before he dies. The Holy Spirit not only reveals this to him, then there's a moment in which the Holy Spirit, you see it? 
comes upon him and says, go to the temple. This is fascinating to me. Because Paul tells us later on, what? That we are not to be drunk with wine, but to be, what? Filled with the Holy Spirit, controlled by the Holy Spirit. He's not working at the temple. He just has this moment in which the Holy Spirit says, it's time for you to go to the temple. It's time for you to go. And then it says, and when Jesus' parents come in, right? So I don't know how long it is, and I don't know what the time passage is, but he has this moment, this prompting where the Holy Spirit says, go to the temple. He goes into the temple, and he looks around, and he has to sit, and he waits. I don't know what's going to happen, but play this out with me for just a moment. He's received a promise. I don't know if it's been a year or two years. I don't know if it's even been a decade since he's received the promise. There's a good chance that he received the promise when he was at least in his early 20s or 30s or 40s, when it's been early on in his life, right? And now he's an old man and he's been waiting every day, every week. Is this gonna be the week? There's this anticipation. Is God gonna let me see the Messiah this week? Is it gonna happen? And he's waiting. Is God, did God forget? He waits around and year after year passes. And then he begins to question, did God really even promise that? Maybe I had a bad dream. Maybe it was a pepperoni pizza that kind of caused this vision to happen, right? Maybe there was some jalapenos in that. I, don't, I just don't know what happened. And, and now he's wondering, did God really promise this? Is it happening? Yes. And he stays convinced. God is going to let me see this happen. And the Holy Spirit comes on him. And it moves him to go to the temple. And he stops and he stays. And he stays for a little bit. Now, stay with me for just a second. I know, I know for many of us, to talk about the Holy Spirit is one of those, ee, we're Baptist and we kind of struggle with this whole thing. But stay with me for just a second, you ready? What would it look like if we actually become convinced that each day our lives should be so in tune with the Holy Spirit that we should be able to recognize when the Holy Spirit asks us to move? Huh? What would it look like when you sat at a restaurant and you look across and you actually see an older lady sitting there by herself. What would it look like if you actually listened to the Holy Spirit say, you should buy her a meal? What would it look like if actually you went to work and I went to work, if we went through the day so in tune with the Holy Spirit that we allowed the Holy Spirit to move us whenever he says move and we would go into action? What would that look like? What would it look like if we actually came to church with that intention? What would it look like if we were so in tune with the Holy Spirit, we said, God, I can't wait to see what you're gonna do today, and we're ready. And the Holy Spirit says, move, and we move. Wouldn't that be fun? I have to admit, there are moments in which I do that quite well. You're like, yes. And you're so excited. And you're just so amazed when God invites you into somebody else's life. There have been times when Jamie and I, for fun, we've been able to put money into an envelope and not even tell who it is. And we go up and we'd shove it into a mailbox at night. 
and then we drive off like we're, we just done something wrong. Kind of like we, you know, remember t- teenagers, toilet paper in people's houses, you kind of, we just did something wrong and it really was really no big deal. And we've done that and it's been so much fun and you're going, man, and you wait for the next week and you wait for, hear them. I just have a praise. Somehow money just showed up in my mailbox and you're just like, man, that's awesome. God's getting all the praise. They have no idea who did it and you're just cheering God on and saying, way to go, God. Thank you for allowing me to be sensitive to you. And then there's other moments in which the Holy Spirit says move and you don't. And you're going, there's no way God wants me to do that. He wants me to be nice to them. He wants me to do that for them. And you step back and say, there's really no, there's no way God wants me to do that. So you step back and you wait. And you're hoping that it really was the jalapeno pepper. And you think it's just too crazy and you just don't do it and you just keep waiting. Maybe it's just gonna go away. And then you see how God uses somebody else to fill the need. And then you go, oh, man, I missed it. Man, I missed it. And Simeon, Simeon has been given a promise. He's been given a promise. He's been waiting for it. And he's been devout and he's being attuned, and he's listening, and he's cultivated this listening ear for the Holy Spirit, because you know and I know that the Holy Spirit speaks with that still, small voice, and you know what he speaks. And as you begin to listen, it gets easier to understand and easier to hear and easier to say, that was him asking me to do something. And the more you say yes, the more he invites you in. And Simeon this morning, he wakes up, He has his coffee. It's a normal day. He's devout, so he spent time with God. And then he's going down the street to his job or to whatever, and the Holy Spirit comes upon him and says, you need to go to the temple today. So he goes to the temple. (laughs) What if he would have said no? What if he would have not been in soon? He would have missed the blessing, wouldn't he? Are you following this? Because here's what, I'm, here's what I would crave for us. I would crave for us if we could have a few, a handful, a remnant, a small group of people that would actually be considered and say, this is what I want this next year. For 2013, as I go into 2013, I want to be a man, I want to be a woman who is full of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit can come on me and the Holy Spirit can move me into action and I'm gonna say yes. Give us a handful. Just give us a handful because that would be a fun place to be. And Simeon goes into the temple, and I can just imagine him waiting around, the priest asking him, what are you doing? I don't know, just here. Why are you here? I don't know, just here. And he's just walking in and he's waiting. And maybe there's a moment in which he sets down, I don't know, but he's there. He's just waiting around. That's what the scripture says. He's there, and then it says, and when. So there's a moment of time that passes. And then when Jesus' parents come in, he's like, that's them. The Holy Spirit, that's them. That's the Messiah. That's the promised one. That's the one I told you about. Watch this. This gets so fun. Oh, ready? 
waiting for the consolation in verse 26 or verse 27. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought the child, Jesus, to do for him according to the custom of law. Do you see it again? There's the theme. Luke is just saying they're just doing the normal routine. And in the normal routine, the Holy Spirit's moving to do something miraculous. And it says in verse 28, and Simeon, and he took him up in his arms and he blessed God. You ever seen a newborn baby? We have several in the audience today and several around. It's just so precious, aren't they? It's just amazing to sit there and to hold. And Simeon comes up. Here's an old man coming up to a young couple. Another theme that you can be playing out, the old and the new, colliding right here in the middle of the story. And Luke's developing the Old Testament prophets, the Old Testament uh, last Old Testament prophet with John the Baptist, the Old Testament colliding with the New Testament, and you just see all these covenants coming. It's amazing to watch the old and new. That's another theme if you want to look at it and see how Luke's developing. And here's this old man coming up to this young couple, and he begins to talk to them, and he asks to hold their baby. Now, let's be honest. You young mothers, one of the fears that you have are strange people coming up to your baby, right? And what do they all want to do? They all want to pinch the cheeks, squeeze the toes, and they want to grab the hands. And where do the hands always go? Right into the baby's mouth. And so what do parents want to do? They, they got to protect. They get the gloves on the babies. And so you can't see the toes. You can't see the, the hands anymore. And you, they cover everything up except the little eyes sticking out. We got to protect the baby. Here's this old man coming up. <laughs> he comes up and he asks if he can hold the baby. Can I hold your child? And he takes and he holds and he picks up and he's holding Jesus. Watch this. And the words say, and he blessed who? God. Now watch this. It's not a prayer to God. He knows that he's actually holding God in the flesh. And he blesses the child in his hands. God in the flesh. He knows who this one is. The Holy Spirit's already revealed it. The Holy Spirit, he's been anticipating it and he's holding the baby and he blesses God and now he goes into a song and now he goes into this, this song in which is called Nunc Didymus in the Latin. It's the first two words, now Lord. And he uses the word Lord as the sovereign master, not the, just the king, but the sovereign master. And here's what he says. Now, Lord, I have seen the fulfillment of your promise. I can now die in peace. Some of you, you don't know if God actually keeps his promises. And here's what I want to say to you. This old man today says, now, Lord, I can die in peace for now I've seen what you've promised. God always keeps his promises. Always. Mark it down. He always keeps his promises. And it doesn't matter how long it's been. It doesn't matter what you're going through. It doesn't matter the, the, the pain and the suffering that you're going through. It doesn't even matter the time frame. God's not on your timetable. He's not on your timetable, but he will always, always keep his promises. What an incredible word. And he holds the baby. He says, sovereign master. You ever had those moments when you know without a doubt without a doubt. It was nothing but the hand of God orchestrating all the events. You ever had those moments? 
You're the sovereign. It is amazing for how well you put this together because God, I could not have planned it this well and God did it all. And he's amazed. He's holding the child and he begins to bless and he begins to sing and he breaks out into song. And if I could sing a song for you, I would sing it for you, but it just does, it wouldn't sound as good. But he says, I can now die in peace according to your word. Why according to your word? Because God always keeps his word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. I'm holding this child. I've seen your salvation. I've seen how you're going to restore the world. I've seen how you brought it in, that you have prepared in the presence of all people. Now, this is an amazing statement because this is not something that's been hidden. This is something that has actually been spoken about and Simeon is making sure he under, we understand and we all see the salvation that God is providing is to be on display for all. It's not to be hidden. It's for all to see. Now watch what he says. A light for the revelation to the Gentiles. Don't you like that? Every single week, this series, the world has come up. The Gentiles have come up. Why? Because this baby has brought salvation, not just to the Jewish people, but this baby brings salvation to all the world. Men, women, rich, poor, master, slave, this century, last century, future centuries. This baby brings salvation for the entire world. And he says this, for the glory to your people, of Israel. Verse 33 kind of gives us just a little insight of what's happening. Joseph and Mary, they have to be looking at each other and they're just standing in amazement. This is amazing what God is doing and they're just kind of giddy. They're watching as this old man is speaking. And sometimes, you know, young couples, you watch them, you're saying something and they're just looking, you can tell they're, they're going, yeah, right, you're old, you don't know what you're talking about. And Mary and Joseph are just sitting there going, who is this guy? This crazy old man who's just speaking and they're just marveling and they're just kind of amazed. What is, he t- what is really gonna happen? What is this all about? They keep having weird thing after weird thing happen, right? Angels showing up, shepherds showing up, talking about angels in the sky. This is just wild stuff. And they're just amazed at what happens. And then Simeon does something strange. Simeon blessed them And then he turns, and as he's holding Jesus, he turns and he focuses gaze on Mary, and he begins to speak. And as he speaks, it's under the power of the Holy Spirit. Because what's about to be said is something very strange when you're blessing a child. You see, I have the privilege as as a pastor to to lead dedication services for babies and for young children. And I get to pray over young children. But one of the great things is this. Usually everything that I pray is all positive. And here's this old man who's, who's praying and he's, he's praising and it's, it's very positive. And all of a sudden, right here in the middle of Luke, Luke now begins to say something negative. It's the first negative in all the writings so far. And he says this. Simeon looks to Mary and he says, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rise of many in Israel for a sign that is opposed. 
Stop and think about this for just a second. He's holding Jesus, and now he says this. This child is going to cause many to fall. This child is going to cause friction for many. Paul later writes about Jesus, and he says this, that the Jews were looking for a a sign, and the, the Greeks, they're looking for more knowledge. But yet, what happened is this, that preaching Christ becomes a stumbling block to people. Even today, there are many who say, Jesus, and when you start talking about Jesus, they either respond in extremes, absolutely love him, or can't stand him. There's extremes when it comes to Jesus. Why? Because he becomes the fall for many and the rise for many. When you begin to look, and let me just talk about this for just a second. For some in here, you're going, Jesus, you know, I struggle with Jesus being the only way. I struggle that Jesus is the one who says that no other way under heaven has been given, no other name. I struggle with that there's no other salvation. There's no other way to God except by Jesus. And here's the problem. We want more than one way. If God had given us 10 ways, we'd want 11. My kids, we do this. I set out vanilla ice cream, chocolate ice cream. Where's the peppermint ice cream? No, it's chocolate or vanilla. But we always want more and we want different options, don't we? And the beautiful thing is this, is that God gave salvation, gave us a way to get to him to actually be reconnected. And here's what happens. We don't want this one way. We want more ways. And this, prof, this man prophesies, many are gonna fall, many are gonna rise, according to this man. And then he looks at Mary and he says, a sword, Mary, is gonna pierce your own soul. He had no idea. He had no idea what Jesus was gonna do on the cross. He, he knew that there would be a death, but he didn't know that on the cross, Jesus' side would actually be pierced. But if you're a mom or if you're a dad or if you're a grandparent or if you've ever loved anyone as your own child, you know when somebody picks on your child, it hits you hard, doesn't it? Man, it moves you deeply and you, you, you come out fighting. That mother bear, that, that papa bear, man, you're ready to destroy anybody who messes with your cub. And he says, Mary, you're going to endure great pain because of this child. But he's also going to be the rise for many. He will be the blessing for many. For many of us, when we have turned and trusted Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, here's what we found. We found the precious, precious pearl of great price that we're willing to trade everything in because he matters more and we get God. What an incredible gift. And then Luke finishes up with one more person another old person. If you look down in verse, or there at the end of chapter two, verse 36, he says this, and there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at the very hour, she began to give thanks to God, to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Why did Luke put her in there? Any idea? Here's why Luke puts her in. You ready? In order to validate something as true, you had to have two witnesses. 
And Luke brings in two, an old man and an old lady who are really insignificant any other way, but he brings in an old man and an old lady and he validates this part of the story with two witnesses. Now, here's what I wanna say. If there's anyone in here who feels like they're too old for God to do anything with, ready? If you're still alive today, God wants to use you today. He does. Don't ever think that you're too old. This old woman who's just going about her normal business and she's just trying to serve God. She loves God. She, just, she doesn't even know what God's gonna do with her life and she's wondering what her purpose is. God uses her to validate his story about how true this segment is. Isn't that amazing? God wants to use you no matter young or old. Let me finish with one little short story and we'll be done. There was, a friend, there was a man who lived in Paris and he was excited to live in Paris and he wanted to bring his friend over to see Paris and see the sights. So he invites his friend over and his friend comes and, and they go to the Louvre, they look at all the art, they go from that, then they go into, they watch and set and enjoy a, a fantastic symphony, an orchestra, and they just listen to all the great music and they see the sights of Paris, the Eiffel Tower, and they see all the different things. His friend's ready to leave, and as his friend is packing up and leaving, his friend said, thank you, appreciate you, you know, inviting me over. And his friend who had invited him said, so what'd you think? What'd you think of all the great things that you saw? And his friend just replies, eh, I wasn't that impressed. And his friend stops, he looks at him and said, can I just be honest with you? History has already determined that the artist and the artwork in the Louvre are great. History has already determined that the pieces of music that you heard played are great. History's already determined that. So what was on trial was not those pieces of art or that music, but what was on trial was your appreciation for the greatness. Here's what's on trial for us. You ready? God has already determined that Jesus is great. He's God in the flesh. It's the most precious gift that God could ever give. He gave us salvation. So what's really on trial is not Jesus and not God. What's really on trial, are you ready for this? Is our appreciation for the gift. And Simeon passed with flying colors. He recognized the Messiah, the baby as the Messiah he appreciated what he got to see and he appreciated Jesus for who he is. How's your appreciation today? I pray that you know Jesus Christ as your personal savior. If you don't, we would love to talk to you about it. We'd love to show you through the Bible what that looks like. If you know Jesus as your personal savior, are you ready for this? Then let's not forget the great value of the gift that God has given us.